Hi again, folks, and welcome to episode number 320 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. A lot of things to talk about, but I have to admit today that I was occupied with other things that uh, I had to attend to today, and uh, thankfully the boss was kind enough to find some things to talk about, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he found out, and having said that, I'll hand the microphone over to the executive producer of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mr. Chris Fluke. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, it was interesting today. I saw that uh, Dwayne Casey was flapping his gums a little bit today. Really? Yeah, and I don't know if he meant it like this, but it's still interesting. And of course, you can imagine the Toronto media was uh, all about it. Oh, and absolutely. Just, they were like, uh, Casey's won two out of three this year against the his former team. Oh, boy. And uh, yeah, it's like, you know, when you shake up an ant farm, that's, that's like the Toronto media today. Yeah. So Dwayne Casey, I don't know what they were talking about, but he was basically talking about what it's like with the Detroit Pistons. And he said, you know, it's neat when you walk in there every day, you see those three championship trophies, you know, and you really get that, you know, that feeling here. Not like Toronto where they've never tasted it. Ooh, and uh, I just, and, but in addition to whatever you could say about that, about anybody making that comment about Toronto and the Raptors, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Other than when they were like, they've been around for quite a while, but they're an expansion team for a while. Then they were, you know, made it to game seven of, uh, you know, and almost made it really far in the playoffs with the uh, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady type stuff. And then they were whatever for a while. And now the last bunch of years, they've been very good. But all that time where it was up to somebody to really take them over the hump, wasn't that you? And I know that you got, you know, you got better at seven out of eight years or whatever, and you had some great teams and you just couldn't, you know, beat LeBron or whatever you had to do there. I appreciate that. You've made the franchise really relevant and really good, and you had a big part in that. But number one, wasn't that an unnecessary cheap shot? Number two, wasn't it really you that had more responsibility than any other single person to really take this team to the promised land and get that trophy. Isn't that a bit of a ridiculous comment and unnecessarily cheap and frankly, quite a bit lacking in self-awareness? Well, for sure. And, uh, you know, I remember last year, I mean, you got to consider after 59 wins and then to get swept in the, what was it? Second round. Uh, in the it'd be the division round of the playoffs against LeBron and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it was, again, pretty much the Toronto Raptors against LeBron James. And if you remember that Toronto, with those franchise-best 59 wins, uh, number one seed in the, in the East, um, it was Dwayne Casey that decided to put DeMar DeRozan on the bench for, fourth, for the fourth quarter in Game 3 of Cleveland. So obviously Dwayne Casey had something to do with the outcome of that 4 nothing sweep at the hands of LeBron and those other teammates that they called Cavaliers. So I personally like Dwayne Casey. I think that he done has done, and Chris mentioned it, uh, getting better in six out of seven or seven out of the eight years that he was the coach of Toronto's lone NBA team. But you know what? I have learned... And I think maybe Dwayne needs to a little bit too. He had his first game that he could gloat a little bit. He came into Toronto, beat the Raptors. Um, this time the game was down at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Uh, the the Pistons have won the season series against the Toronto Raptors. And if the playoffs started today, this is the most fun part. The second-seeded Toronto Raptors would play, you guessed it, the seventh-seeded Detroit Pistons. So <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. But, Dwayne, be classier than Masai Ujiri. Be classier than the piece of shit 
that decided to terminate you in Toronto. You made some mistakes. We all make them. You weren't the sole reason that the Toronto Raptors didn't proceed last year. The Toronto Raptors were pretty much done after pissing away game one in that second round series against the Cleveland Cavaliers. LeBron won game two single-handedly. Then game three, he banks the shot off. And by that time, your season was over after your number one uh, salaried player and your number one scoring option player, DeMar DeRozan, spends the fourth quarter on the bench. And regardless of how bad a three-quarters of that game had gone for the former Southern Cal Trojan, he is still probably your best option to put the ball in the hoop moving forward. Some of the best scorers in the NBA have her- terrible first quarters, second quarter, but then all of a sudden, maybe it's even bad in the third quarter, but they have a great way of hitting a big shot, and that's what they call big-time money players. So there's a fault to be blamed everywhere here. I still blame most of it on Masai Ujiri, and he's still going to look dumber than he does now when Kawhi Leonard is playing for the Los Angeles Clippers next year. But I think Dwayne Casey needs to class it up a little bit, and I think that he will because I really believe um, the way he was treated still obviously leaves a bit of a a bad taste in his mouth, no question about it. They're seemingly putting all the blame on him for their playoff failures, but um, he had something to do with it, but he wasn't the only reason that that the Toronto Raptors season ended prematurely last year. Well, now we're going to talk about one of your favorites. Hello. So this guy plays for the Boston Celtics, and he has decided that he doesn't like being famous. And being famous is hard for him. And his name is Kyrie Irving. And there's a lot wrong with this story because, first of all, if you don't like being famous, why did you star in a movie? And why did you make your own shoe? And secondly, the Celtics really 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 suck right now and they've sucked for a while and they're losing to everybody and they aren't looking good at all and Kyrie's sad and he doesn't feel very motivated and he's sad about being famous and it's just a mess how much of a cancer is Kyrie Irving how much is he responsible for them losing and being a complete tailspin how angry would you be if you're the owner paying this dude 20 million dollars to complain about the franchise non-stop and how ridiculous and stupid is it for a guy who thinks he can have it both ways by saying I'm gonna make a shoe and be a famous player and do everything else and star in a movie called Uncle Drew which is stupid and complain about being famous all at the same time what the hell is wrong with this guy Well, it all starts in regard to him being famous as he was a very talented young point guard at Duke. And you get a lot of media publicity when you play for Krzyzewski at Duke. Then he goes on and becomes the first overall draft pick post-LeBron number one. And he was the Cleveland Cavaliers franchise for a long time. But then he did bitch number one thing. And that was ask for a trade out of Cleveland because he wants to lead his own team. Okay, well, he led his own team. Look what he's done in Boston. And it's funny, um, he has single-handedly disintegrated this team, I believe, with his attitude. And it really started, in my opinion, when he got introduced at Madison Square Garden a couple of weeks ago, and the Knicks fans gave him a standing ovation. Because previous to that game, he had made mention that that was the famous line, come see me on July 1st as to where I'm going to play next year. Kyrie, again, here we go. The standard issued, go fuck yourself. The other problem with the Boston Celtics right now is very similar than to that of the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Jason Tatum heard and has continued to hear that he's on his way to New Orleans as part of the Antonio Davis package, and his little PP got slapped, and he feels like his feathers got ruffled a little bit. And this is, again, the prima donna bitch athletes that we have today in all professional sports. Right now, if the Cleveland, excuse me, if the Boston Celtics and the uh, Philadelphia 76ers were, if the season were to end today, I just mentioned two versus seven, Toronto against uh, Detroit. Five versus four right now, I believe off the top of my head or close to it would be the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'll tell you something right now, Philly would win that one in maybe four games or five games, excuse me. They'd win one in Boston. Home court would go to Philly. And I think Philly would win four out of five because Boston is just disintegrating in front of our eyes. Nobody knows their roles out there. Kyrie wants to be the show and he's forgotten about other guys on that very, very talented roster. And, you know, again, going back to the best player, I think on that team is not Kyrie Irving. It's Jason Tatum, the young man from Duke. And his name has been prominently prominently talked about in potential trade packages going back to New Orleans. So that, like it's done to my famous four idiots out in L.A. named Ball, Kuzma, Ingram, and and uh, Josh Bell, it's very similar in Boston, in my opinion, in regard to Jason Tatum. They've gotten their f- feathers ruffled a little bit about what happened at the trading deadline and continues to happen past, post-trading deadline, and these little bitches can't handle it. That's the problem with the Boston Celtics right now. They've got an internal chemistry problem and it's going to take an off season of house cleaning, I believe to really fix it in Boston. Yeah, I think so. And I wouldn't expect the, the number 10 market in the U S to be, uh, out of it or rebuilding well, for too long though. And listen, folks, you know, the other day, Chris and I were talking about something and we, we made mention that it had been 70, how many years and the New York Rangers and the national hockey league had won Stanley cup championship. And, the Boston Celtics are supposed to compete, as are the Los Angeles Lakers, for championships. Not division titles, not playoff appearances, not playoff series wins. They're supposed to win titles. And that's the reason that the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers are 1-2 and two in NBA championships. Lakers, Celtics have 17, Lakers have 16, but the Lakers, excuse me, the Celtics have not won a championship since 20. I think it's 2010 when they beat the Lakers the last time. It's either 208 or 210 when when the big three of Boston beat the Lakers in the finals. I think now, as I'm thinking about it, would have been 2008. That's the last time the Boston Celtics have won a championship. That's just not acceptable in Boston. With the talent that they have and all the draft capital that they have in regard to number one draft choices, package the draft choices somewhere and add to your team. Jason Tatum, folks, is a keeper. He's one of the best players in this league with his versatility. And if Boston loses him, I think, as good as Anthony Davis is, Boston's getting the bad end of the deal. I really believe that. That kid Tatum is special. Fair enough. Okay, well, I wanted to move on to the NHL here because the NHL GM meetings are going on right now, just getting started in Boca Raton, Florida. Why don't they have the the owners' meetings in Winnipeg? You know why. Well, of course I know why, but it's not fair to us, the hockey fans, that these yahoos are down in West Palm Beach where it's 85 and sunny today and we're freezing our cojones off here in Calgary. Oh, it's up to about minus 10. 
That's not fair. The NHL general managers' meetings should be in a cold place, just like most of their franchises are. They should have to hold it at the saddle dome. (laughs) No one's allowed to leave. Sleep on the concrete. Smell like dog shit. Hopefully, don't get wet. (laughs) Yeah. Who knows? And that thing was flooded. Who knows where the mold's going in that sucker? Anyway. Okay, so they're proposing a bunch of rule changes. Nothing major this year. It's mostly just tweaks is how they're promoting it. So I wanted to mention some to you, and some of these I haven't even looked at yet. I'll just say them, tell me what you think, and then I'll give my two cents here. So the first one on the docket here, inclusion of referees in video review. And actually, for this one, I'm just going to say my piece first because uh, I criticize all the time the NFL for having old men squinting at tablets, as I call it. And we don't need this shit. How about you leave it to the younger people who have proper vision and have massive ultra HD 4K screens in the command center in Toronto or wherever they are, and they can make the decision. And they're not biased because, you know, the ref might have pride about if they got the call right or not. Why not just fuck the referees in this situation, go to the go to Toronto and have them make all the key replay decisions? I can't. I have nothing to disagree with that. I totally agree with that. Leave it. The, the ref has made his call. Live If you've got to go to replay, go to Toronto and have somebody, for all those reasons Chris just stated, let them make the final call and let them take the heat if they screw it up. Yeah, absolutely. Or, I mean, and everyone's talking a lot about how they love the AAF, and we've mentioned it before, and I think there was another key moment that happened this past week as well where, you know, they'll change replays on the fly or they'll, you know, they have somebody just con they want constant transparency and you can see them reviewing it and they'll say actually no we we changed this like well the refs are running out to make the call they have a special replay official that's all he or she does and so that's pretty interesting but uh okay so then uh they're trying to minorly change some wordings of some rules that's boring uh major penalty review um one proposal included the option for referees to review a play before assessing a major penalty. Yeah, I did hear about this earlier today. So let's say they have a five-minute major and they want to kick the guy to the game. They can review that. And a lot of times that will be like something after the whistle or something, or maybe they fought or who knows what it was. Or But they can, whatever they're kicking the guy out of the game for, they can review that. And now the I did hear today, in fairness, the NHL has said they're not interested in this in the end, it okay. sounds like, well, because uh, wanna, they don't want to slow the game down. I was just, um, thank you, National Hockey League. Somebody's making sense. We're trying like hell, it seems like, in all national sports to try to pick up the pace of play. And I think that doing this in regard to review, we've become so dependent on review that we're so we're so thirst of making sure we make the right call that we overanalyze and overanalyze and overanalyze and all of a sudden a simple something in the goal mouth takes 12 minutes to figure out from the video geniuses in Toronto. Let's not add to their workload, folks. Let's not overburden their small minds. Let's give them a simple task and let them perfect that. Don't add to the mix. And I'm glad the National Hockey League is saying we are not a proponent of this. Yeah, yeah. Thank God. Yeah, okay. Here's an interesting one. Shortened overtime penalties. Five-minute overtime is four-on-four. Goes down to 403 with a penalty. Make it one minute instead of two. Penalties in overtime. Hmm. I kind of like that. Yeah, I think it's kind of I kind of like that. I think it makes sense, actually. I think that makes Two some sense. Two minutes is devastating on Two five minutes, minutes. Yeah, and you're playing, yeah, on a bigger, then obviously a bigger ice surface. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of liking that one. I yeah. think that adds something to the game. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I don't mind that at all. That's actually pretty pretty clever. 
Uh, this seems pretty straightforward, and this would be such a rare thing. Anyway, stop play on a goaltender's lost skate blade. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure. That shouldn't even be shouldn't even be up I for know. discussion. That should be just a given. The guy loses his skate blade, he can't perform, he can't do his job. It's like going to a job site and you're supposed to be digging a trench and you didn't bring a hole or a buggy. <laughs> you're not prepared. No, that's good. Yeah. Uh, now, another one involves your helmet. So right now, the NHL is about the only hockey league in the world where, at any level where if your helmet comes off, you can still finish the play. You can keep playing. Right. Right? So, like, in the AHL, you have to either immediately skate off the ice or else literally reach down, put on your helmet, and then do up the chin strap or else oh. you get a penalty. Okay. Right? So now they're looking at doing something like that, which potentially would even include where guys would have to wear their helmets in warm-ups even, which I think is going too far. That's a bit much. That'd be, that's I mean, a bit much. That's so classic. See the guys skating out there with the, with with the, the flow, hair and, yeah. the mullet. Yeah. 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 yeah, you missed that. So uh, that would that would actually make me uh make me kind of sad actually i don't i don't want to see the the warm-up helmet leave that's... the warm-ups just like they yeah, are that's... let's worry about once they drop the puck and the 60 minute game has started let's worry about that let's not worry about warm-ups right now guys um i've got a bit of a and i know you're gonna get this but i thought you'd be proud that i remembered this as you're talking about helmets who was the last player in the national hockey league that played without a helmet Craig McTavish. a boy. I knew you'd get that one. Yeah. I heard that one today on the train, and I'm going, yeah, he'd know this. You but can't put a helmet on that beautiful perm. Come on. Maybe if he'd had the helmet on, he would have made some better decisions <laughs> when he was working for the yeah, uh, working for the Edmonton Oilers in many different capacities. Yeah, lots of fun jokes there. For no sure. question. There's, uh, you know, there's uh still can't. Still remember the day he pulled the tongue out of that stupid mascot from the flames. Oh, yeah. I was happy he did that. You know what you should watch? That piece of shit shouldn't be down in the playing area. Yeah, he was way over the glass. He shouldn't have been in the playing area. Yeah, 100%. You're not part of the play. There's a great video. You should actually watch it online. Made years later. Like, that was way back. That was like 06 or something. And then just about a year ago or so, maybe two years ago... And uh, they did a video, because McTavish still works for the organization. They did a video with a couple... What, he's the senior advisor to the janitorial staff? Oh, I don't know, or he what? was like, I don't know, something. He was like assistant to Chirelli or something. But anyway, so they did a video where... So Edmonton got a new mascot a couple years ago, Hunter the Lynx, whatever. Hunter the Lynx? Like Canadian Lynx. He's like a, oh, 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 like oh, a okay. wildcat. Got it, kind yeah, of. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that so the, like the fox family? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it's like, he looks like a... It's like a cat, but like like a wilder cat, and uh, so yeah, it's a with oil coming out somewhere. No, or? no, but anyway, his name's Hunter. I don't know. It has nothing to do with the oil, but anyway. So they did a, vi- a fun video where they were preparing to meet the flames, and they had McTavish, and it was a total like Saturday Night Live sketch. But I mean, McTavish was great. He was like pretty much dead serious for most of it, and he's training hunter on how to pull the tongue out of harvey the hound and they literally they're in the gym and the mascot's working out and he's like you know no, down and to the left down to the left and he's trying to like work out so to show like showing the video of how to pull the tongue out of uh harvey the hound or whatever anyway i thought it was funny this is the province that once produced all out every, every shift the city let's not blame right. the whole province for that uh okay. no that's true that was the city of calgary so that actually was- yeah, never I, mind. I actually like the name of this site. So I got all these rule changes up for grabs here uh, on this site, scoutingtherefs.com. That's a great name. Uh, now, that's all they have there. I did see Elliot Friedman reporting today, though, and I, I know he mentioned at least one other one. He mentioned one, uh, actually he mentioned two here uh, that I can remember he mentioned that I didn't see in the article here. Number one was, and this is weird to me, and I hope I'm even understanding it right, but let's say someone shoots the puck in 
to the opposing zone from, I think, I think he just said past the blue line, not even the red line, but past the blue line. And then the goalie, if he, the goalie wants to freeze the puck there, they would get a penalty. Like the idea is like, if you get it, you have to keep the play moving. Okay. You right? can't physically stop it. Otherwise, it's not considered should, yeah, a delay of game or something. Yeah. Two minutes. Yeah. Like if they were in inside the zone, that's fine. But yeah. I mean, if they were just shooting it in, they weren't even in the zone yet. Right. Some guy shoots it in. And obviously, they can't have anyone over the line or it'd be offside. So if someone shoots it in, obviously no one's in there. If you just take the puck, you have to move it, essentially. So that what you do you have think? to make a play on the Yeah, puck. I guess they're just trying to speed up the game, which Again, is fair. Again, it's, it's just a way to piece up pace of play. It's, very, it's paramount to all professional leagues to speed it up. And uh, I think that's okay. I okay. really do. How about this one? Let's say someone gets a penalty. The opposing team, and let's say it's in the offensive zone... The opposing team gets to decide which side they want the faceoff to be on, so they can have like their best faceoff guy and their best like Ovechkin. You so if you're on the right side and you've got a guy with a right-handed shot, you want him on that side. Yeah, like I mean, like let's say it happened on the left side of the play, facing the other net. Right. Okay. You, if you're Washington, you could say like, oh no, we want on the right side, so we can pull it back to Ovechkin or Stamkos in Tampa. A right-handed one-timer right. laser right. can be sitting in the middle of the ice. You're instead just of positioning the yourself. You have the opportunity yeah. to position your, depending on your personnel package. Yeah. You have the opportunity to put your best package forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Me I neither. like it, and I, I think it's a way. Sorry, I think it's a way to juice up the scoring on the power play. I think that there are too many penalty kill teams that are doing too damn well, and we need to take advantage of the power of the power play offensively. And I think this is a way to do it. Yeah, and I didn't hear this from the GM meetings, but I did hear that uh, somewhere else I had heard that someone had proposed it, probably so no one official, but someone had proposed where basically in that same vein, if a team gets a penalty anywhere on the ice, the other opposing team should get it in the offensive zone. Right. Right? I mean, instead of like, I mean, it's weird to to you know you get the other team gets a penalty and then you start a face off in your own zone it's just kind of weird you should start up there and and i don't mind that actually no I, I i don't mind that either i mean nothing like you say nothing major but they are trying there's obviously an emphasis on keeping the pace steady they don't want lulls in the action there's enough of that with the television timeouts and such and people don't realize this aloud i didn't realize this forever and ever and amen but nhl coaches are only allowed one timeout so they even these guys with only one time out and the constant changing of lines. They don't just judiciously stop. They have to take time during the TV timeouts. I get that, but I think the National Hockey League is being proactive, like a lot of different, except Major League Baseball, with chickening out to the Players Association and saying that they won't talk about the pitch clock until 2020. That's just to protect their collective 2022 or whatever it is, just to protect their collective ass. But I think the National Hockey League is being very proactive, and that's good to see. Yeah, absolutely. I I like that they're going with tweaks instead of massive changes, and some of these are actually good ideas. I'm sorry. I remembered something from last night's Maple Leafs-Flames game, Mm -hmm. besides the outcome, which was 6-2 Toronto. Um, one of the few times I'm a Toronto area fan. <laughs> um, this was funny, and and I heard it, and I, it was on the panel last night, and they were talking about because they've just meaning the Maple Leafs, they've just signed Austin Matthews. Obviously, back in July they gave Tavares seven years, ninety-one million bucks. Um, they've just signed William Nylander, just before the All Star break, signed him to a, whatever extension he had sat out until he got it but um the guy that they were talking about that might be the most integral cog of that whole team mitch marner's coming up Mm -hmm. and for the maple leafs even in that market 
with the money and the, and the resources that they have with the Maple Leafs Entertainment Group. Um, this guy, and God damn it, I wish you could remember his name. It wasn't any of the regular panelists. It wasn't Elliot Friedman. I'd remember him for sure. Um, might have been Colby Armstrong. I'm not sure. Somebody on a panel last night said that for the um, Maple Leafs to actually get Mitch Marner's name on a contract extension, they will have to. They will lose William Nylander. Can't afford all of them. Someone's got to go. And this guy gave the opinion that the guy to go would be William Nylander. Any opinion? Well, they just re-signed him, though. Oh, I know that. Uh, geez, I think they're going to try and get all of them, but geez, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. You're going to be in cap hell like the Chicago Blackhawks. And even with Patrick Kane living up to expectations on the score sheet and still having the solid Jonathan Taves and all these other great pieces, they still are doing terrible. So yeah, the the Leafs uh, haven't had to be in this position for a long time, a long, long time where they have a lot of great stars who all need to be paid. And it's a nice problem to have in a way, but yeah, they might need to move somebody. The fact that they re-signed Nylander for six years yeah. indicates to me that it's going to... And it might be tough to move him because I, th- I think... Six years is a lot of term. I mean, I, that's yeah. a lot of term. And that's why, not going back to baseball, but making an inference that 13 years to one guy is an awful long time. Yeah, like six is a long time. 13 is completely out of control, especially fully guaranteed. So... I think it might be somewhat tough to trade Nylander, to be honest with you, because I don't know if that contract is the greatest bargain. I think teams want to be really sure about a guy and be able to, you know, assess him firsthand and make their own determinations. Like, you might look from afar and say, oh, we're interested in Nylander, but man, we would have liked to have gotten him with maybe a year or two left, and then we can re-sign him uh, after we've seen him play for a bit in our system and everything. So that's going to be tough to move, to be honest. And I know they don't want to get rid of Marner at all. So no, that's going to be a that, tough one. I, I did watch bits and pieces of that game last night, and that man can play hockey. That young kid can play. Yeah, and they showed they showed the fastest guys to a certain number of points, and the only guys ahead of him on this list in Leafs history, which is a very storied franchise, they were all from back in the day. But don't you think, realistically, the guy has a point. You can't sign the franchise icon, which is now the franchise torchbearer, has got to be considered Matthews. Mm-hmm. Your prized acquisition, the guy from Toronto, comes home, Tavares. He ain't going anywhere. Marner might be the best of the bunch, as we've just shared our thoughts on. You don't have to be Helen Keller. If they can't get all four of them under contract, I would think the first one, if... And again, there's a lot of obstacles, but I would think that Kyle Dubas would have to change if he can't do all four of them. And I don't know, even in that Toronto market, I don't know if you can do all four of them without sabotaging your salary cap for the next foreseeable future. Nylander would be the one I would go with. Yeah, it, he is definitely the one they would go with. It's just, they why they give him that contract then? How did they not see this coming? This is like two months ago. Yeah. It's not like this is like five years ago. And how, did, like, they need to be able to see this coming. You need to know that you're going to be having to re-sign Mitch Marner. Two months ago, you must have known that was coming. So this there's no excuse. Maybe you shouldn't have hired a 12-year-old to run your organization. I don't know what the problem is here, but yeah, yeah, this is... Who changes this Kyle Dubas's diaper when it needs to be done? Is that Shanahan? Well, when he shits himself, when he has to get rid of someone like Mitch Marner, uh, he gets rid of it. Mitch Marner and he should be on the same plane out of town. Oh, yeah, no, they... Mitch Marner, I don't know a lot of hockey, 
But when I saw that kid play last night and the difference that he makes, yeah. he's a difference maker. No, and yeah. you can tell, you can tell when he's on the ice. Yeah. Good things happen for those Maple Leafs. Yeah, he's good. And yeah, Nylander's the one to go if they have to get rid of one too. It just, I don't think they're going to get a very good return from him because of that contract. Think about this. 1996. You were just a youngster, but think about this. We talk about term and it just came in my head. We talk about term on contracts. Magic Johnson signed the first, at the time, the biggest uh, sports contract ever. 25 million bucks. 25 years was the term. He signed for $20 million a year for 25 years. <laughs> Amazing. Those guys are making that in a season. But I'm just yeah. saying, we talk about term. Obviously, they restructured yeah. it many, many times. But Dr. Buss, when he did this, I remember it because I was part of it. Not part of it, but I was around it. And uh, 25 years, 25 million bucks. And there were headlines all over the most expensive sports contract in the world and yada, 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 yada. 25 million bucks, big number. But now today, that would be two years. Yeah. For a Magic Johnson to be one year. Uh, if you're paying... If you're paying... And I love Steph Curry. Don't get me wrong. But if you're paying Steph Curry, $27.5 million. You're paying James Harden, $34.5 million. You're paying Magic Johnson in his prime more than $25 million bucks a year. Oh, yeah, you for sure are. And uh, without crunching any numbers, I think we can safely say that this increase in player salaries has somewhat uh, beaten inflation, I think, <laughs> by a bit. So that's exciting. But anyway... Last thing I wanted to say today, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that yesterday the wrestling world lost King Kong Bundy, the what? main eventer of WrestleMania 2 in the steel cage against Hulk Hogan. And uh, yeah, at 61, also a stand-up comedian. I, you know, I was just talking to my buddy the other day who King was here. King Kong Bundy. Yeah. I remember him. Yeah, WrestleMania 2. always 61. And it's funny because he looked the same as when he was 24 because he, he had the bald head and the completely big, bulky, nondescript frame. I don't know if you're a fan of... Married with children. Oh, he played uh, he played Peg's, Peg's brother or brother. Yeah yeah, brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I know I didn't really watch that. Show yes, too much. I have very fine television yeah, taste, no, you, folks. I figured you'd like married with children, but yeah, that's King Kong Bundy, and uh, yeah, famous for the five count, which I think Jim Ross came up with. But so back in the day, I think he started this in Dallas in the early '80s. But he would you know beat a guy so badly that he'd get the three count and then he'd demand that no i to show being i need a five count to show how badly i beat this guy so they have to count to five instead of three and that was neat and then he brought that to wwf eventually and uh yeah and you know it was interesting because just my friends were here the other day from saskatchewan and the one guy asked me if i had seen his stand-up because king kong bundy's real name was chris pallies and he had been uh, doing stand-up comedy the last few years a little bit. And I hadn't heard anything about him being ill. He looked pretty much exactly the same as he did in 1986, main eventing WrestleMania, as a, in his 60s as he did in his 20s. And uh, yeah, so I was really surprised at that one. One of the guys in our wrestling death pool, the same guy who demanded that we make it uh, to, uh, you know, guys who wrestled after 97 essentially is the same guy who said he would have taken King Kong Bundy in the pool. So he shot himself in the foot because he could have won, but he didn't because <laughs> he demanded on a rule change. So uh, rest in peace, though, to King Kong Bundy, who uh, was, uh, who was uh, you know, a larger-than-life type of a guy and a real icon, you know, main-evented the first singles WrestleMania main event since WrestleMania 1 was a tag. And, you know, uh, that, that's WrestleMania 2. That's classic. You know, that was the only WrestleMania where they had three different cities simultaneously. 
Right. So they had they simultaneously were running. They wanted they did the three biggest cities. So they were simultaneously running, and they would cut from one to the other. And I don't know what the heck they were doing at the other two while the main thing was going on. But they simultaneously ran three venues. They had the Nassau Coliseum going. They had the uh, well, what what is now the Allstate Arena, which was the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. Chicago, yeah. Right, and then they had the recently demolished in 2016 the LA Sports Arena, which is also where they held WrestleMania Seven. Uh, which but, was literally a toilet yeah and that's where they that's where they actually uh held uh hogan and bundy and the true main event of the whole card was actually in la which is surprising to me i would have thought they'd put them in new york but regardless they were uh they put them in la and actually interesting thing about the la sports arena to me because i'm sure you were there since you lived in la but uh unfortunately yeah so in in so this was 86 but it just it's separate from bundy in 1991 uh wrestlemania 7 so they did the whole storyline with Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter goes from America and he turns his back and joins Iraq and just stupid. Anyway, so it's Hogan and Slaughter. And what they wanted was, because this is the Iraq war, so they tried to capitalize on that. So they wanted to, the goal was, Vince wanted this to be such a big thing that they'd sell out the LA Coliseum, right? I mean, and, and just fill that. Th- or right. not even sell it out, but even just fill it out. Even if you give away a bunch of tickets, you fill it up and right. it looks great, right? And ticket sales were really, really bad. 91 wasn't a really good time for wrestling. So that failed to catch fire, even with the Iraq war and all that. So what they did was they decided to move to the LA Sports Arena. And Vince's excuse was, well, we heard there were terrorists. Thre-. Like, yeah, yeah, like Iraq's going to evade Los Angeles, <laughs> right, as Russell- and bomb WrestleMania. So we better move it to the LA Sports Arena, which has a roof. Yeah, It was the most ridiculous excuse of all time. But anyway, they went to the LA Sports Arena. But anyway, getting back to the true matter at hand. Uh, that's cool you remember him. King Kong Bundy was one of the big stars. He's only there from about 85 to 88. Yeah. Uh, but at the beginning with WrestleMania 1 and 2, and as they were getting big there, um, he was a, he was a big star around that Rock and Wrestling Connection thing. So he was very famous for his you know boring black singlet and his unique look. And uh, rest in peace to Chris Pally's King Kong Bundy. We've got a run on this 320th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so on all the different social media avenues that Chris has given you to leave a question, a comment, uh, leave something. We'd love to uh, hear from you. And again, if you do so, we will make sure that uh, Chris or I uh, reads it here on Unscripted Air again with myself and Chris. We've got to run, as I just said, on this 320th episode of Unscripted. For the executive producer of our little program, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.